only 3% of invested dollars went to female-only founders in 2019. That percentage has not changed since 2010. This is according to a crunch-based report on gender disparity in startup funding. To give you a few numbers, in 2010, female-only founded companies raised a billion dollars. Their male-only counterparts, on the other hand, raised $31 billion. Then, in 2019, female-only founded companies raised $6 billion, an increase, sure, but their male counterparts raised $195 billion. Why aren't we investing in women, despite overwhelming evidence that it is to everyone's advantage that we do so? In this episode of B-Side, Nicole Denholder of Next Chapter Raise tells Business World reporter Patricia Mirasol why gender disparity in funding exists and what women entrepreneurs and the business community at large can do about it. Next Chapter Raise is a funding ecosystem based in Asia with one mission, to get female founders funded faster. mentioned that only 2% of funding from venture capitalists went to female-only founded startups. So why is this the case? What are the underlying causes? And is it more prevalent in some countries than others? If you look at this, it is a global phenomenon around that number. Sweden is even down to 1%. I mean, the numbers are quite shocking. I think that there's a number of factors that come into play here. I think that historically, the entrepreneurship space has struggled to encourage women to join it. So if you look even into America, up until the late 80s, if a woman wanted to borrow money under the Small Businesses Act, you had to have a male guarantor. So you've got these things that just over 30 years ago, women still couldn't independently build businesses. You hear that a lot of women start businesses and they're sole founders. And obviously investors are always nervous about investing in sole founders. So there's a lot of key person risk. There is a level of bias in terms of the questions that are used when investors, male and female, talk to female founders versus male founders. That's one of the things that we covered in our training session is how do we address some of these issues that are coming out? There's a number of factors. I think that there has been an increased focus, though, on understanding that if we could increase the number of female investors, that could contribute towards more women receiving investment. I think that there's a issue around deal flow. And historically, when you talk to investors, they're either looking at warm referrals or going through pitch sessions or they're doing some research. Now, the thing with the warm referral process, if women haven't historically been getting into that and aren't getting into that process, they're never floating to the top. So when you hear that there's maybe not enough women available to invest in, part of that's because they're just not in an existing system. So part of the discussion should be, how do we change that warm referral process to inject more women into that cycle? Pitch events is another one where women are underrepresented at pitch events globally. And you get some anecdotal feedback from women that they're not really being very generalist here, but there is a bit of pushback around the style of the way pitch events are run, the way the questioning is done. They want to seek engaging with investors in a different way. So there's real opportunities in those two spaces making an impact, which is what we're focused on at Next Chapter Raise, is how do we help more women connect and have a community aspect with investors? And also how do we look at the whole pitch process to make it more viable to both introducing women and different investors. 
you mentioned something about investors asking specific questions to women versus men. The difference between prevention-based questions versus promotion-based questions. Could you share with our audience the differences between the two and how it affects founders get funding? So there was some research done by Dr. Dana Kantz out of London. And what that talks about is they worked out through their research that the types of questions women founders and male founders are asked impacts the amount of funding they received. And so they fall into two categories, promotion-based questions and prevention-based questions. Promotion-based questions are much more gain-oriented. And so therefore you are something that's gain-oriented, you would likely answer in a positive gain-oriented way, where prevention-based questions are risk-oriented and whoever responds to them would typically respond in much more risk management way. And what they found was that more women were asked prevention-based questions than male founders. And prevention-based answers, that kind of cycle resulted in less funding. So there's actually just through the use of simple questions, it absolutely created a direct impact on the amount of funding that the founders are raising. And what was interesting is they went back and they did it and they removed the gender lens by mixing a few things up. And what they found was that regardless of what gender answered in a prevention-based manner, they raised less money. What we've been doing is talking to both female founders, part of the training we do with female founders and separately with investors. So the trick here is that to talk about what are prevention and promotion-based questions and how do we, A, as investors think about being a bit more conscious of what types of questions we ask and to what gender and how we ask that and to be actively listening to those answers. But also for female founders in particular, regardless of the type of question you're being asked, you need to answer in a promotion-based manner. Um, we do some training around reframing your answer. What do I need to answer here that actually, you know, shows that I'm growth oriented, that I have opportunity, I've got a great team, you know, really is much more on that promotion-based perspective. So that's what we covered in that session. So um, it's a difficult space around addressing the statistics we hear around female founders. Obviously it's across the ecosystem. It impacts in many different ways. And, you know, it's easy to get overwhelmed or think about how do we fix this? It's finding simple tools like this that are small steps towards making change. I mean, these all start to add up. And so that's why we're quite active in promoting that research and sharing about it and really trying to see how can we give people practical hints on how to utilize it. Given that companies that have at least one male co-founder raise more money than companies that only have female co-founders, do you think that if you're a female co-founder, it's more prudent for you to deliberately look for a male co-founder? No, I don't think you need to do that. I think we talk about this at Next Chapter E's around if you do not have a co-founder, how do you show that you and the team around you or using the funding you're going to get to build a team are going to deliver on what you're talking about? So obviously this key person risk is around if the founder falls over, is the business going to fall over? Obviously, that's a big concern. From a self-founder perspective, you know, we certainly recommend look at the way you're building your team, that you're analytical around maybe your skill set, your strengths, what the business needs to complement that. But then secondly, if you are going to look for a co-founder, and we don't recommend you just jump and uh, I'm looking for yeah, a male co-founder or two male co-founders. But I think what you're looking for is complementary skills, someone that between you, you become a stronger partnership going forward. 
and that that partnership presents well to investors. Obviously, finding co-founders is difficult. In that instance, it's always making sure that you have agreements in place, clarity around roles and responsibilities. Regardless of gender, you need to really understand what both of you are bringing to the table, what you expect out of this partnership and you know what your goals are because over time you need to make sure you're continually aligned to be delivering within the business. I want to talk just a little bit about venture capitalists because in your website you also mentioned that only 7% of venture capital partners are women. Why is that the case and how do we change that? If we increase the number of female venture capitalists, will it also uh, improve the chances of female founders from being funded more? I think one of the reasons could be that the whole finance industry has traditionally been male dominated. So you obviously have that transfer within those industries of broader finance. A number of you know angel investors and those going into venture capital are successful entrepreneurs themselves who are reinvesting their own money or understand how to recognize and invest in founders. So obviously there's a big bigger pool of men to pull from. So you've got some aspects from that. In terms of having more female investors, I think all the reports we've seen and what we've certainly learned is that that would be an absolute positive influence, I think, on the number of women that would get investment. But it is a slow process. Obviously, you know, you need the talent to come through, the training, that's going to be a slow burn. But definitely there's an acknowledgement globally that if we had more female investors, that would hopefully result in more female founders being funded. And there seems to be certainly an expectation that maybe the products will be more relatable or the industry might be more relatable. So therefore you may have that. But it's interesting when you talk about industries, because when you look at that two or 3% of funding that goes to female founders, once you break that down even further, female founders in female oriented industries, maybe more wellness, clothing, fashion, typically get a higher amount of funding or are more successful at funding than women who might be in a gender neutral industry, such as logistics, translation services, or deep tech, because there's an expectation that women aren't as engaged and working in those industries. So how do they have that industry knowledge or how do they understand what the problem is or how do they understand the client? So it's interesting to start breaking down those numbers to see that even across industries, you see very different results coming through as well. What are the different funding types and uh, how would you know which one is the best funding type for you? in your company? In terms of looking at funding, I mean, this is what we really focus on at Next Chapter is, is that there's not really one size fits all, and it is a journey in terms of your business growth. And so first and foremost is thinking about where are you and what stage of business you're at and what do you need that capital for? So are you more like idea stage, early stage, growth stage? You know, is this gonna be more working capital for the business or is this going to be some form of growth or investment capital? Are you wanting to give up equity or are you much more interested in some form of debt model? Having a bit of analysis around where the business is and what your goals are. And then particularly once you've identified where your business is, is looking at the options within that because that impacts the amount of money you can raise. So at an idea stage, you would be looking at, you know, obviously friends and families may give you some money and that could be uh, either a loan 
or taking some equity or a mix of that. So it's, you know, you can kind of manage that in a variety of ways. There might be a grant opportunity. You may look at an incubator in particular because they're about business and idea disruption. You may be looking at an accelerator depending on where you are because accelerators are looking at your business model and how do they move you forward quite quickly and take some equity. So you might come, as you come out of idea stage, also an idea stage, you might be looking at rewards-based crowdfunding, which is a really good way to kick off your business where you can do product development and raise money for, say, your first batch of products through crowdfunding and then you know grow from there so you've kind of got a bit of a grouping there then you move on to you know angel investors or angel networks maybe very early stage venture capital depending on your revenue position you may be looking at some form of lending options revenue-based financing is becoming more well known and that's particularly great for subscription-based businesses or recurring model businesses and then as you grow, then your numbers start ticking up. So you might be looking at more the venture capital stage. You might be looking at a bigger loan. So you've kind of got to transition through and look at where am I in my business journey and, and what's an option. I also am a big advocate for looking at competitions or grant programs because often you don't just get money with those, but you might get a bit of media. You might get some mentoring. Those can really help you know, legitimize or, or kind of boost your business. And the last thing I would say as you looking through those is think about it in a longer term and plan out your funding journey alongside your business plan. So if you've set goals and you've got plans to achieve them, you know, analyze what money do I need to get there? Definitely revenue first is always what you should be looking at. But what kind of external sources of capital can you look at to help move you forward? Maybe that's a quick hire. Maybe it's some additional marketing, you know, things that would maybe move that needle for you. So let's say I'm a female founder and I need to raise funds. Can you mention venture capital firms or grant commissions that are gender neutral? A little bit depends where you are. What you'll find in grants is that countries will have different programs. You're seeing a number of them will partner with corporates. So I think looking at government and corporate organizations are quite useful. You know, a big one is the Cardia Women's Initiative that happens each year. And that's a global initiative that has some fantastic opportunities. But again, in that instance, you need to have be hitting certain revenue targets and you're hitting UN SDG goals. So whatever you're looking at, having either revenue in place or, you know, some pre-revenue traction, a path to profitability, all organizations will be looking at that for you. And at Next Chapter Raise for our members, what we do is ongoing research on what's available. And we put that in our live funding calendar. So we don't look at just general events. What we do in our funding calendar is we look at pinch competitions, program application dates, cohorts that are happening, giving women an opportunity. And we're kind of saving them time in terms of researching to find opportunities to pitch to. And we've had some great success in three women getting into the Founders Institute. We've had a member who's a shortlisted for the Cardia Women's Initiative, which is a fantastic opportunity for her and has won a you know Chamber of Commerce startup series. So that's been really great. They're finding out about these opportunities. We do implementation hours where we help them apply as well. So they're really kind of getting to move forward because it's a lot of hard work. So our goal there is to really assist them in making that as easy as possible. What I'm also hearing is that it's very important for women to have a network and a community to rely on and mentors to support them in their journey. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think particularly if a female founder is a sole founder looking for a network and a community, you know, being an entrepreneur is hard regardless of gender. Every day it's up to you to get up and make this happen and continue to build that business. And so that takes a lot of mental energy as well. And so having supportive community where you can ask questions and you can really help navigate how to go forward is super useful. And, you know, we've certainly brought into Next Chapter A's this element of highlighting and giving our members the opportunity to talk to experienced entrepreneurs who've been there, done that, because that's what's quite important. Let's help you get over those pitfalls faster. Let's maybe avoid them if possible by talking to female founders. And, you know, there's not a lot of female role models out there, because if you look at those statistics around two to 3% of capital going to female founders, that just by default means there's not as many female founders running the big companies and those CEO roles. So it's really great to be able to connect women to them, to be able to help them understand how they did that and feel okay I can see that I can be that and that's really important and that concludes another episode of B-Side once again you heard Nicole Den Holder of Next Chapter Raise speaking with business world reporter Patricia Marisol about gender disparity in startup funding a few takeaways from their conversation it's easy to get overwhelmed by statistics says Nicole but it's finding simple tools that can make change. Tools like answering questions from a promotion-based perspective, having a supportive network, and bringing female founders and investors together. Here's hoping that female startup founders get a bigger slice of the funding pie in 2021. This B-Side episode was recorded remotely on December 16, 2020. This is Samuel Marcelo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>